So we continue our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer today, and um, we've been on this journey. We just started um, this last week, so we're going to spend a few weeks, and I just love teaching and be able to, once again, look at the Lord's Prayer and to see how it shapes our lives and how it defines our lives and how we live into these great words that Jesus has given to us, because it's the greatest prayer ever given. And so um, as we find, there's actually, we find it actually, as I shared with you all last week, we find it only in two places in the Gospels. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's also found in the Gospel. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a place in which Luke, the disciples come to Jesus because he was their rabbi. You learn from your rabbi and say, Lord, can you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, or actually gives the disciples. Then we have the second place that we find it is actually in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and the disciples come to him, and he begins to teach his disciples. And we find this beautiful place in which Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. So um, today, I want to help us kind of um, connect the dots. And so, so Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, but this prayer actually ties in with another prayer, and here's part of our focal point for us to think about launching today. And it's a prayer that we find that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find it in the Gospel of Luke, the uh, 22nd chapter. So let me just read three or four verses. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a, well, about a stone's throw away, knelt down, he began to pray. Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what's interesting? I, in my research this last week, um, a lot of times in the Jewish uh, rabbinic tradition, in the Hebrew tradition, when, when they would repeat something, it was really important. So the Hebrew writings, there was a sense of parallelism. I didn't realize this. So things were said twice. And usually the second was to emphasize in a higher way the first. So our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you get that? Don't miss the detail. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Don't miss the detail. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So I, I was loving this, just kind of thinking about, you know, uh, we Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And um, my uh, friend James Dinan, who has become a very wonderful friend of our church, and he is the um, one of the chief reporters for the Daily Sun, and he writes the religious articles. And so he kind of checks up on what's going on in the New Covenant, and he asks if we can, maybe there's some things that are going on. He you know, does a wonderful job of highlighting some of the ministries of our church. So he wrote me um, this weekend, and um, he actually wrote Ellen as well. And he asked this question. He says, hey, Pastor Harold, I was, also, I was wondering, um, I would love to um, ask the pastors about National Day of Prayer and prayer in general. Um, is, how, is, how is prayer so important these times? And I thought, well, that's a great question because, you know, he's writing, you know, you got National Day of Prayer. We got all this emphasis on prayer. So I wrote him back. And um, so this is what um, I shared with him. I said, yeah, James, I think that National Day Prayer 
is especially important because we all need hope. Can amen on that? Right? We all need hope. Our country needs hope. The world needs hope. I need hope in my individual life. So over the past uh, two years, we've had a tremendous amount of uncertainty in our country, in our world. There's been a great racial tension and division in our country. We've got the current war in Ukraine. Plus, our anxiety has been heightened because of COVID-19. Uh, people were fearful for their lives. People miss the human touch of friends and loved ones. I think it's important that we pause and be reminded of who we are and to whom we belong and to give God thanks. By the way, we're all children of God who are in need of a God of hope and salvation. We're in need of loving our neighbor. I think that there are some key components to our prayer and daily lives, especially on this day of prayer, this national day of prayer. James, I think that we need to thank God for his goodness and love. James, I think we need to pray for forgiveness. James, I think that we need to pray for help in our daily lives. And James, I think that we need to pray that God can use us to help others. Thank you for reaching out. We're always looking forward to new ways to connect with you. And by the way, James, you are loved and appreciated. Pastor Harold. So I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. But the, you know, how important in, in our daily journey that a prayer is uh, woven into our, our daily lives. And um, so I shared with James my thoughts on um, prayer. And so, you know, last week I, I shared with you all, and by the way, it's a great piece of scripture that I just read that, you know, here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says, Lord, if there's any other way, you can let this cup, this cup, this cup pass from me. And there's like a semicolon there. And I, always, I think when Jesus prayed that prayer, I think there was a pause. I think there was a, laws, a long pause. Lord, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, pause. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Wow, okay. Seems to be, there seems to be a parallel between Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Remember the Jewish historical rabbinic Hebrew tradition, emphasis on the, f well, you re say it twice, and the emphasis is on the second. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. So, you know, I shared with you all last week, you know, sometimes, our, you know, we pray, and sometimes God answers our prayers the way that we hoped, and sometimes we don't get the answer that we were longing and hoping for and praying for. You know, I gave you three different examples. I said, you know, I prayed for my friend Brent, Brett, and I prayed for my friend Kelly, and they both passed away. I prayed that God would heal them, and I didn't get the answer the way that I hoped that would, I could get into the prayer. But I did pray for my little, my dear little friend Evelyn, a beautiful little child, for her family, and that God would restore her life. She was, has her whole life ahead of her. She's only about, I don't know, maybe one, one and a half, and she has been healed. Matter of fact, as I mentioned, she was there last Saturday night. Hopefully, her, I think her parents are actually come. Donna saw them this morning when she was walking the dog, and she says they told her that we're, tell Harold that we're going to be at 11 o'clock service today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and you know, I think there is a truth about sometimes God does our answer our prayers in, in, way, in unique ways, and sometimes God answers our prayers and he uses us to answer prayers. Like, for example, 
I'll show you the picture of those, or actually I brought those shoes last week. I think I got a picture of the shoes this week. Okay, so there's the shoes that my friend Clinton, a friend um, who was a volunteer at Bargains and Blessings last week had given to a homeless person who came and just looking for, well, he's going through the garbage dumpster and looking for a pair of shoes. Matter of fact, Donna's took, actually, she borrowed the shoes and she's using them as a visual aid for her sermon today. Isn't that great? And she, she has the box and she has the shoes and she's, she's here. And, and so I went to my friend Clint last week, I saw at Mid's breakfast and I, I said, you know, Clint, I, uh, thank you for allowing me to use you in my sermon this last week. And he said, well, Harold, you didn't actually ask for permission. And I said, okay, I'll ask for forgiveness, Clint, you know. <laughs> and so um, I just really appreciate that story. You know, sometimes God uses us to answer prayers. I love what, you know, I mentioned this last week. I think it's a great quote from Mr. Wesley. He says, you know, God grant that I may never live to be useless. I love that prayer. And, and so um, I was thinking this last week because what I, what I love about the Lord's Prayer, and, and we have to really, I'm once again trying to teach and help us connect the dots this morning, is there is this emphasis that if you pray the Lord's Prayer it really has a, everything to do with having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then maybe, probably, chances are that the prayer's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. It's the reason why the Jesus, when he, the, the disciples who were followers of Jesus, the Lord teaches how to pray. And so, as we pray the prayer, and by the way, it's not something to be just memorized. It's not something to just be wrote. It's something that's rich with meaning that shapes our lives and days changes actually can, uh, helps us in our daily journey in our lives. So I was thinking about this word this week and I was thinking about the word revere and how, you know, when we think about the idea that God is to be revered in our life, there's a sense of reverence in his life and there's a sense of reverence in how holy, hallowed is his name. And I was reflecting upon that this last week, and I was thinking about the idea that once upon a time, my, my mom actually gave me one of my grandfather's watches. It's a pocket watch. I don't know if you all remember. Do you remember the old days? that Not many people actually carry pocket watches anymore. Matter of fact, now we have Apple watches. And let me tell you something. This is a far cry from an Apple watch. But I love this commentary in William Barclay. He was talking about this, and he used this illustration. Back in the early 1800s, there was a man who was walking along, and he'd never seen a pocket watch. And he stumbled upon it. It's found on the side of the road. And he actually, he was intrigued by the whole thing, and he actually took it apart. And he saw all the mechanisms inside the, of the watch and saw how, how intricately everything was wired and how everything was moving, and all these little parts were all kind of moving in perfect sync with each other. And then he said, and this is, I love what Barclay says. And so the guy looked around and says, wow, there's got to be a watchmaker around here somewhere. And I started thinking in his, in his commentary, when he talked about the great watchmaker, he talked about ultimately God is the creator of all things. And we just look around and see how great God really is. God is to be revered. Hallowed and holy is his name. So I was reflecting on this this last week, and I was thinking about what does it really, what makes God tick? And you know what, make God, what makes God tick? Is love. It's written on those t-shirts that we're 
talking about out there, the ones you saw that Olivia and all our staff are watching, you know, wearing, you know, the idea of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then Jesus takes it and does a, a new little twist. And you think about what makes Jesus tick is the idea that not only to loving God and to loving your neighbor, but the idea, he says, listen, I want you to love just as I have taught you to love. And so I, I think those are the integral parts of what makes God the Father and God the Son. It makes them tick. Then I was reflecting upon the idea of this idea of reverence, and I had these words running through my head, and I, I put them together, and there are four key words, and that has to do with existence, reverence, presence, and guidance. Let me say that again. Existence, reverence, presence, and guidance. And so I had these kind of four words kind of rambling around my head. And the word existence was really kind of came to the forefront this last week in my one of my conversations with my son Cameron. So we're out shooting baskets and just shooting baskets. You know, Cameron and I like to do that. Maybe two or three times a week, we just go out and we shoot, um, ba- um, shoot basketball and we just kind of talk about different things. So usually what happens when you think about maybe a father-son relationship or maybe a father and his daughter, or, um, uh, they're talking about, well, I don't know, they're talking about Michael Jordan. They're talking about LeBron James. They're talking about why the Lakers didn't make the playoffs, you know, something like that. No, Cameron and I were talking about Soren Kierkegaard. And you're going, who? What? Soren Kierkegaard. Everybody knows Soren Kierkegaard, right? He was actually a 19th century um, philosopher. He was a 19th century theologian. I learned about him in, actually in seminary. And, and so um, he was brilliant. He was, from, he was actually Dutch. And his big thing, he was known as the father of existentialism. And existentialism has, has everything to do with trying to understand the existence. Why are we here? What's the meaning to life? What's the purpose in life? What's the meaning to our existence in the first place? That's what it means to be an existentialist. So Cameron and I were going back and forth and talking a bit about, you know, a little bit about his philosophy and a little bit of his theology. And by the way, if you're really cool and you really like Soren Kierkegaard, you can get one of these really cool T-shirts. And this is what I brought my kids for Christmas this year. This year, matter of fact, that's what that's a that's the kind of the pop cool culture Soren Kierkegaard. Matter of fact, did you get a picture of Soren Kierkegaard? This is what he looked like um, back in um, early 1800s. And we had a really great quote as I was reflecting upon what he was writing about. I mean, the idea, why are we here? What's our existence? Why are we to be able to revere God in the first place? And, and this is what he had to say about the purpose of life, the meaning for life. Why are we here for life? He says, what I really need to get clear about and what I must do, not what I must know, except insofar as knowledge must precede every act. What matters is to find a purpose to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. That's pretty deep. So, you know, what's interesting, Soren Kierkegaard, his whole life, he was searching for the meaning of life. He was searching for the purpose of life. And his big thing in his theology, he says it all comes down to paradox. He says the paradox has everything to do with the paradox of the universe in which God's made and how God put everything into motion. And this is what he said in his theology, and we call this Christology. He says, ultimately, the, para- the greatest paradox in the universe is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Can I amen on that? 
the greatest paradox on planet Earth that's ever been in the whole universe is the idea that Jesus Christ came, that he was fully human and yet fully divine and came entered into our little world. That's the paradox. Now, what's very interesting is I was thinking about this this week. There's another great, well, theologian. I don't know if you would call him an existentialist, but this guy's name is Rick Warren. He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And what's very interesting, his opening chapter is this. It's entitled, What on Earth Am I Here For? He quotes Proverbs. A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. In Colossians, Paul put it this way. For everything, absolutely everything, above all and below, below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. The opening line of his book is Rick Warren. He says, it's not about you. And then he goes on and says, focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. He says, but you were made by God and for God. Until you understand that, life will never make sense. I love that. Let me say that again. He says, hmm, you were made by God and for God. Until you understand that, life will never truly make sense. Hmm. So I think about this this week, about, you know, making sense of life. Um, it's not about you. And, and I was thinking about this, this idea about, you know, it's, it's really not about, about you. This, and I was reflecting upon my, my friend Dave Johnson's devotion at Men's Breakfast. I shared last week that he was going to get the devotion on Tuesday. And he had two of his very good friends who actually saved his life in Vietnam 50 years ago. And what was very powerful about David's devotion, by the way, we had probably more people at men's breakfast last Tuesday than we had probably in two or three years. It was amazing. He did a great job. And, and his two friends who um, were the, two, the chopper pilot and the, kind of the second in command of the chopper um, uh, that swooped in and act, literally saved their lives because they were going to die or be, become prisoners of war. And they told a story, but before he told that story, which is an amazing story, he told a story about David Nash. And what's very interesting, matter of fact, we got a picture of David Nash, and, and, and he died in Vietnam, and he was a part of the regiment. He wasn't a part of David's platoon, but he was a part of the regiment, and then there's the kind of greater command that he was a part of in Vietnam, and so... David had to make a split, well, a split second decision that it wasn't about him. As David tells the story, before he told the other story, he says, David Nash threw himself on a hand grenade in order that he would save the life of three of his friends. It's a powerful story. And what I thought was really interesting as uh, David was reflected upon that, you know, there's this, there's a context, let me put this in context. When people die in the war, we use this expression, and they gave their life for their country. Y'all familiar with that, right? And we totally understand that. And, and so when David was telling this story, he says, you know, and I know what David meant. He's, you know, he was saying that this gentleman, this David Nash, 
50 years ago, he, he ultimately, he did give his life for this country, but he says, I don't think that's the reason why when he was making the split set decision, he had two seconds to make the decision. He said, I don't think he was thinking I was dying for my country. He says, I think he was dying. He knew that he was going to die for his three friends. And then he gave this quote that comes from the gospel. And, um, and it's a very important quote from the gospel, John, as I've heard David share many times. Greater love than has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow. It's not about you. It's interesting if you look at the story or the, the Lord's prayer, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, can you just please teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. And what's very powerful about you look at the, the way that Jesus taught us how to pray, it's that thy name be hallowed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine be the glory forever. Yielding to God, Jesus, the Lord of our life, over and over again, more and more about honoring God, less about me in this prayer. I yield to God. This is the most important revelation that we have when it comes to giving our life to Jesus Christ because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God. Matter of fact, right out of the gate, Jesus makes that very clear. It's not about me and my and mine. It's about we and us and our, our Father. We're all children of God. I love that part. So the first part of this, when I think about this message today, I, I think it's a really important part. You know, it's not about me. It's not about you, um, but it is about the glory of God. And the second phrase is, you know what? Sometimes we just, and I love this part, and let me just put this in common layman terms. We have to get our act together. Can I get amen on that? Well, I mean, we really do. And so what I think is this amazing, you go back and look at the gospel of Matthew and the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's mentioned a hundred, over a hundred times. This is a big deal for Matthew. Making sure, and so if you look at the life and times of Jesus Christ, you look at the, his teaching, you look at the parables that Jesus shared, like the parable of the prodigal son or the, or the parable of the good Samaritan. These parables, these teachings of Jesus all point to what the kingdom of God is really supposed to be like. And so it's very powerful, the idea that even, even the Old Testament, the, there's a common Jewish prayer. It went like, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. And so the idea that Jesus came, and this is what Jesus said. I love this. Jesus, this is a typical, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. I love that. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. It's here right now in me. By the way, as, as Soren Kierkegaard we learn from his existentialism, his focus on the incarnation, the great paradox. This is the great paradox is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine. And Jesus Christ and his teachings and his life in which he lived teaches us repent, change. In military terms, we call this an about face for the kingdom of God has come near. So we have this we have this earthly kingdom 
And they, and they, we have the together in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the divine and the human, the kingdom of God becomes visible through his life and our lives through God's hope for the world. I love that. But we gotta get our act together. And that's what Jesus is, part of what he's revealing here. Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is, what? In heaven. And you go back to the Old Testament, you look at the Old Testament teaching, do you realize that we are... We really do need to get our act together because it goes back to the book of Genesis and everything was perfect. I mean, you think about everything was perfect. And you only get three chapters in and things start falling apart. Only three chapters, right? You got the Adam and Eve story, everything is perfect. And then, of course, you know, you have this temptation going on. God is here with them. Don't do this. Don't do this. You only have one thing you don't have to do. And, of course, they did it anyway, right? And of course, then Adam says, she made me do it. You know, got that part of the story, right? <laughs> Blaming people. And then all of a sudden, and this is a really important detail. If you look, and all of a sudden, when sin enters this in, the, the, star, the story in the garden, hold on to that. When sin enters in the story of the garden, then all of a sudden, things start dying. Because they realized they had sinned. They had to cover up their nakedness. Things start dying. And the next thing you know, you find that Cain raises up and kills Abel. Things continue to die. And so Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, he came in order, he says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. It's here right now. And, and the idea of what Jesus is trying to emphasize is the ultimate, the glory goes to God and that we need to get our act together because when you look around and just once again, you watch the six o'clock news and you realize we, get, we need all the help that we can get. And the idea that, once again, we're bridging the gap of what is perfect and holy and right and true and heaven and the glory of God, and that is the way in which we're supposed to live our lives here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I, I learned this this last week, and I thought this is actually a very interesting twist. And so I, I thought this is very powerful. Do you realize that in the Bible, Jesus is actually referred to as the second Adam? And so we have the first Adam. Where's the first Adam? In a garden. Don't miss the detail. He's in a garden. God says, you're not supposed to do one thing. He does it anyway. Eve does it anyway. And so there's this interesting twist to the story. So what, in essence, if you read, Adam is doing my will for what he wanted to do rather than what God wanted to do. All right, so let's fast forward. <clears throat> They're about, Jesus, can you please teach us how to pray? Well, sure, I can teach you how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Then you get to this piece of scripture that I read just a few minutes ago. Where's Jesus? In a garden. What does Jesus pray? Lord, there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me? Semicolon. Pause. Not my will, but thy will be done. See how they connects between 
the beginning of the creation story in the garden to Jesus teaching his disciples about the Lord's prayer and then Jesus teaching us everything about the essence of sacrifice and the hope for Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. The incarnation, God in the flesh, embodied in Jesus. I was watching this um, uh, last week. I was watching the, the brand new mayor of New York City. Um, he's quite the interesting guy. His name is Eric Adams. As a matter of fact, we got a picture of Eric Adams. And he was, um, he, he, he refers to himself in this, in this uh, when he was being interviewed. He says, I, I'm, perf- I'm a perfectly imperfect person. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. Because when I think about the Lord's Prayer, I think the Lord's Prayer is meant for perfectly imperfect people. He, he said, um, I, I wrote this down. He says, we are so divided right now, this is the mayor, we're missing the beauty of our diversity. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, what is good and right and holy. He was saying, you know, we're missing something. We need to get our act together. I love what John Wesley, um, we, we have a, John Wesley's covenant prayer. It teaches a lot about life. Matter of fact, it was part of the, our Wesleyan tradition. Usually this prayer is read um, um, on New Year's Day. It reminds us of the way in which we're supposed to live our lives. And there's a connection between holy baptism. And I got a picture of holy baptism. And what I love about holy baptism is it reminds us that that who we are and who we belong. It reminds us of being born again. It reminds us of who we, how Christ continues to bring hope and light and, and rejuvenation to our lives and this whole idea of new birth. And so this is what Mr. Wesley says in his prayer. He says, you know, I'm no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing and put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full and let me be empty. Let me have all things and let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I love the Lord's Prayer. It's not meant just to be memorized and blow through. No, no, I think there's something about the Lord's Prayer that shapes our lives and reminds us that it's not about me. It also reminds me that I need to get my act together. We all do. For Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. So here are the two reasons why I really think the Lord's Prayer is perfect. I'll close with this. The Jesus is the perfect one who gave it to us. He is perfect. Second, it fits perfectly with our imperfect lives. It reminds us that we all have two things that we need to focus on. It's not about me. And it also reminds us that we really need to get our act together. Hence the reason why Jesus died for our sins and reminded of that today. 
as we partake in the Holy Eucharist. Amen.